You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. It's been almost a year that I've been back in Austin. Uh, I grew up here. This is my hometown. Uh, Being the fifth generation to live in Austin, I like to call myself like a true native Austinite. But com- and compared to our, our transient culture that's always moving and shifting and, and all over the place, that might seem like a long time, five generations, almost 100 years in this one city. But that's really not, in, in the test of time, I'm not a, a true native, obviously. I'm not a true native of here. It, it was 400 years ago. That seems like a long time, but in the history of the world, much of the world thinks about history in much longer times than that. 400 years ago. Almost exactly. A relative of mine, his name was William Brewster, he came over with about a hundred others on the ship that you might know of, the Mayflower. He came here, uh, all of them were moving, looking for a new chance, looking to the new world for a place of opportunity, fleeing oppression, entering in to this new world that, that became the signpost of hope for upward mobility, to move up in the world. They were leaving this class-based monarchy so that they could have a place and move up. I think this history is written over and over again in in the stories that our culture tells. We love rags-to-riches stories, don't we? All of so many movies and books and tales, we love it when people at the bottom make it to the top. Cities like Austin are signposts of hope for the ambitious. Many of you have moved here to, to move up in, in our careers, to start a business, to make it as a musician. Everyone is climbing some kind of ladder, professionally, socially, even, even spiritually we do this. We tend to measure ourselves in, in terms of achievement or the attention that we're getting or the approval of man. I, I've gotten to live in a lot of places across the U.S. and even in South Asia, even though I, I grew up here. And I'm really thankful for the freedom and the opportunity that we have. Now, opportunity is a great thing. But when coupled with our sinful nature, it often can turn into exploitation. In our desire to climb higher, we don't evaluate the cost very often of, of what it costs to others as we ascend our climb. The cost can be great. For example, how devastatingly ironic is it that a nation colonized by those that were oppressed took land from original natives and called it our own? Or that we, many of us, many of our ancestors shipped others over to be our slaves. We were oppressed ones that wanted to make it higher. These things we did in the name of our climb. Upward mobility has a downside. This storyline that everyone can be upwardly mobile, it really distorts our faith. We think that life is what we can make it, that we get what we want by just taking a hold of it. The Bible tells us a quite different story. That we get what, that we are, are those that strive after things and we can get it, well, That's like grasping at air, is what Scripture tells us. 
And, and often there's a wreckage that's left behind. It comes up empty. The Bible is not about our upward mobility, but as we've talked about already and we've sung about, it's about the downward mobility of God. We don't make our way to God. God has made and is making his way to us even now. This is what we see in Genesis 28. And of course, it's what we see in Jesus. We just spoke about it. Who, though he was rich, he became poor. It's not a rags to riches story. It's a riches to rags story for us. He left his inheritance that we would be made heirs. And this summer, we've been tracing the sovereign grace of our God through the stories of Jacob. And soon, we'll talk about Joseph. Today, we're going to talk about this famous scene in Jacob's story. He dreams of a ladder that's set up on earth and it reaches up to heaven. But this is not about Jacob climbing up to God, as you might assume. This is about God coming down to Jacob. So we're going to focus on three aspects of the story. Jacob's ladder to nowhere, God's ladder to Jacob, and our access to God. So Jacob's ladder that goes nowhere, God's ladder to Jacob, and our access to God. Let's, uh, before we get into the text, let's, let's remember how he's gotten here. We saw in the last few chapters that Jacob longed for his father's blessing. But his father Isaac, he favored the firstborn son Esau. So Jacob manipulates for his brother's birthright and he steals his brother's blessing by lying three times to his own dad. The result of his maneuvering is that Esau vows to kill Jacob. And so when Jacob's mom, Rebecca, hears about this vow, she comes to Jacob and said, please run away. Get out of here. Esau's going to He's totally going to kill you. He's a big, strong hunter. You know that he will. And so, he does. Isaac repeats the blessing that that Jacob had already stolen. He repeats it to him, saying, okay, I will bless you. And then he sends him away to a relative to find a wife. That's where we find him. So Jacob gets the blessing that he wants, that he had always wanted, the, the blessing from his father. But where has that gotten him? It cost him everything that he had. There's such great irony that clouds this story. There's a pastor named Abraham Cho in New York, and uh, he describes it like this. In Jacob's obsession to obtain his father's blessing and his brother's birthright, Jacob lost everything that it represented. He thought he was finally getting the love of the father his blessing, his pleasure, his grand stake of inheritance, and his own place of high regard. But now here he is, an exile. I, uh, I saw an infomercial the other day, um, and I'm not sure if this was intentional, but whoever created it might be a brilliant theologian. Someone had created a piece of exercise equipment that very closely resembles that mild torture device known as the Stairmaster. It was perfectly named. It was called Jacob's Ladder. 
As soon as you work your way to the top, two seconds later, you're at the bottom, but exhausted. What a cruel joke. Jacob's life seems to be a little bit like this, doesn't it? He's always striving, always climbing to get to the top. But right when he thinks he's gotten there, he finds himself at the bottom again. So that's where we find Jacob in Genesis 28. Let's open up Genesis 28, and we'll pick it up in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Well, Beersheba means the well of the oath. It was this fertile oasis of blessing and covenant. And that's where he starts. But he's going to Haran, which literally means parched land. It's got nothing for you, right? You see a little symbolism? What's interesting about this part of the story is that the author is intentionally vague about where he is. We know where he's coming from, and we know where he's going. And in fact, the, the author does know. We, we learn later in verse 19 where he actually is. But why do you think he doesn't say anything about that? Why would he be intentionally vague here? He tells us that Jacob is just in a place. Look at verse 11. And he came to a certain place, and he stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. He uses this vague reference of a place six times in 13 verses. Later in the passage, that's when we learn about about Luz, this Canaanite city. So the author knows where he is. Why is he so vague? It's because many scholars think he's putting emphasis not just on the geographical place that he is, but the emotional and the spiritual place of Jacob. To give a little perspective, this trip from Beersheba to Haran, geographically, it's about a 530, maybe 550 mile trek. So that that would take, if you're hiking every day, that would take about 30 days, an entire month through the desert from one place to the other. And and right now where we find him, Luz is about just 50 miles into that. So he's got 500 miles left and he's just in a place. He's in the middle of nowhere, Lonerville, without anything to rest his head on. Jacob had been been striving to, to prove his worth to establish his place in the world, to secure his inheritance. But now he finds himself in a non-place with absolutely no one and with nothing. And guess what? The sun had set on him. That's depressing. Jacob is kind of in the middle of nowhere spiritually as well. Uh, There's no indication that he's repentant at this point. Or that he feels the weight of his sin and his selfishness. He's about to have an encounter with God, but it's not because he's seeking God. It seems that Jacob isn't aware of God at all in this place. 
I, I can really see myself in, in Jacob's story. More than once I found myself in, in a non-place or in the middle of nowhere. I've struggled in different seasons of my life with depression. And uh, most recently, about 18 months ago, I was with a counselor and friend. He, he helped me to see that I longed, I wanted so badly to be morally superior to others. I tried to climb this ladder of righteousness, striving to be up on top. And it was clear to him that in my effort upward, I had done nothing but dig a hole for myself. I was climbing a stairmaster of my own making. It moved downward faster than I could climb up. And he pointed me uh, to this passage in Ecclesiastes 7, uh, verse 16 and 17. It says, do not be overly righteous, neither be overwise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be too wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? In my striving, I was destroying myself. In Jacob's striving, he had earned a death promise. He deserved to die. We both longed for our father's blessing for his pleasure, but we both tried to attain it on our own and it led to nowhere. Do you see yourself in Jacob's story at all? In your longing to secure a future, are you racing after success, trying to earn it? Are you longing for for a fulfilling purpose? Are you chasing after climbing the ladder of, of work? In your desire to belong, do you obsess over your image and how other people view you? Isn't it exhausting? What is it costing you? What is it costing your friends and your family, those around you? Jacob has climbed his way to nowhere and it cost him everything. He's exiled from his own family. He has a death promise from his own brother whom he completely swindled and cheated. And he's in the desert alone with a rock for his pillow. And he falls asleep. And that is when God comes to Jacob in a dream. In a dream. It's while he's sleeping. Isn't that interesting? Jacob's not doing something spiritual. Jacob's not even walking down the road. He's he's not working. He's not doing anything. He's asleep. He's finally stopped. He's a completely passive player in the story. What a beautiful picture of a God who moves toward his people when, when we're even unable to come to him. Do you see it? God not only promises to show up to those who seek him, But our God is the kind of God who with fierce love, he enters and invades our chaos, the chaos that we create. And he reveals himself to us, even when we're not looking for him. Let's read about how uh, God comes to Jacob in Genesis 28, verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, And the top of it 
reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So at the beginning of the dream, the text says... There was a ladder set up on earth. And when I first imagined the ladder, I was thinking it was, it was kind of rooted here and leaning up into the heavens. But the word isn't really a ladder. It's like a, a stairway, a massive, incredible stairway. Think about God would have in heaven, a massive stairway coming down. In verse 12, we see that this stairway comes from heaven to earth. It's not starting in earth and coming up. The Hebrew reads like this. There's a stairway that rests on earth with its source in heaven. Verse 12 continues. And behold, which means get this, look at this, hear it. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And verse 13 says, and the Lord stood over it. God was there with Jacob. He's over the staircase and it comes from him and it leads to him. And his angels are going up and down the staircase. Angels are God's messengers. They're his warriors of light. They do his will. So what this is a picture of is God's will being done on earth. His power was moving forth into the world. His mission, his sovereign will was in full swing. And in verse 13, God begins to direct, to speak directly into Jacob's brokenness. Look at it, verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and he said, I am the Lord, the God of of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. God could have just said, I am the only God, the one true God. But he doesn't. He makes sure to explain to Jacob that he's the same God who met with his grandpa and with his father. God says, I am the God who keeps his covenant promises. And you, like your fathers, are the recipients of my faithfulness. What we're seeing is God's faithfulness even to Jacob, who's an unfaithful servant. What grace and mercy. God says to Jacob, and he says this to us, I am the one from whom all blessings flow. I'm the one who blesses, and you in your darkest hour are getting what you've always longed for. Not because you tried hard, but because I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. So what does Jacob long for? What is all of his striving actually about? 
God speaks to it. Verse 13. Jacob longs for a secure future. Look what God says. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Jacob finally has a secure future. Not because he's on top of things or even because he's managed to steal his brother's birthright. He's not on that land. He's on this land. Jacob is secure because of what God has promised him. Is this not the same for us? Jacob longs for value and purpose. And look what God says in verse 14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. You see that these are promises. They're not commands. You can't obey these promises. You trust them. Much of Jacob's striving has been about trying to secure what God has already promised. He always already promised it. God is promising to Jacob that his offspring will be so numerous, they'll be like the dust of the earth, like particles in the air. He is part of something so much bigger than himself. A purpose much greater than he could have ever imagined. And God's promise continues for us in the Great Commission. He, he does the same thing. Jesus declares, you will be my witnesses. Not you must be. He says, you will be because I will accomplish my purposes through you. What a great, incredible promise to us. We are those families on the other side of the world that have been blessed through the line of Jacob, through his son Jesus. We are those that have been blessed. We have become the vehicles of this kind of blessing. God is a downwardly mobile God. And what a gift that we get to enter into that downward mobility towards others. You get to enter into the joy of the master of reconciling and restoring. Jacob also longs for someone that he can trust. Jacob's upward mobility came at the cost of his relationships. No one trusts him, and he trusts no one. This is how he ended up isolated and vulnerable in this place. But look at what God says to him. Verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Maybe the most shocking of all the things that God says to Jacob is, I am with you. In the midst of his isolation, in the midst of his selfishness and his sin, God declares a promise of his presence his nearness. God does not say, I will dwell in this place. I'm glad you happened to stop by. He says, I will be with you and I will keep you and uphold you wherever you go. He says this to Jacob. Jesus says the same thing to us. This promise is true for us. He declared, behold, 
I am with you to the end of the age. When is the end of the age? When he comes back to reign. He is with us. And at the end of the dream, Jacob wakes up overwhelmed by all of these promises. And he declares, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. He proclaims how awesome, how breathtaking is this place. His place of exile becomes a place of homecoming. It's not only his future home, it's the very place that God is right now. Jacob renames the place Bethel, which means the house of God, the place where God dwells. The place that represented Jacob's despair became a place of hope. His rock pillow became a pillar of worship to God. And this is a theme throughout the Bible, that God shows up where we don't expect him to, that he actually was there. Over and over in the scriptures, we see God comes to their people, to his people in their nowhere place. To name a few, God came to Abraham in Haran, which means parched land. He came to Hagar in the wilderness. Jacob, while he was sleeping outside of Luz. He came to Moses in the desert while he was shepherding, herding some sheep. He came to Joshua in the wilderness before he entered the promised land. He came to David, the last born shepherd boy. He came to Mary, a young unmarried teenager in nowhere Nazareth. He came to Peter while he was fishing. He comes to Paul on his way to murder and, and imprison followers of Jesus. Is there some aspect of your life that feels like a nowhere place? Here's our hope. That God comes to us where we are. Where we least expect him. Do you think that God could be with you in those nowhere places and you didn't know it? In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard writes about where God nurtures and forms us. He says, God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. Again, God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. God graciously descends to us right where we are and most often when we don't expect it. Jacob's striving leads him to the middle of nowhere, but God in his grace, he comes down and meets with him and he's done the same for us in the person of Jesus. God came to our nowhere so that we could have access to him. At the end of his dream, Jacob declares, this is Bethel, and then he says, this is the gate of heaven. And what he's really saying is, this is the true gate of heaven. What does he mean? Well, this is a reference to Genesis 11. There were some people that tried to make a name for themselves by building a tower to the heavens, to God. It was called the Tower of Babel. The word Babel literally means gate to heaven. It was man's attempt to reach to God. Jacob is understanding now 
That doesn't work. This is the true gate of heaven, where God comes to us, not where we can make our way to him. This is actually one of the ways that Jesus identified himself. In in, uh, the first chapter of John, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there was a man named Nathaniel that was approaching him. Nathaniel was pretty skeptical of Jesus. He had been invited by Philip, who was one of the disciples. And as he's walking up to Jesus, Jesus declares, Look, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, a son of Jacob who is not a liar like Jacob. Nathaniel's like, bro, you don't know me. you You don't know me. And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, we don't know what happened under the fig tree, but Nathaniel knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. Oh, he's shocked. Uh, truly, you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, you believe because I saw you under the fig tree? You will see much bigger things than this. What he says, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Did you hear that, Jacob, that Jesus is using the same image from Jacob's dream? What is he saying? He's saying, I am the gate of heaven. I am the ladder whose source is in heaven and throws its reach down right where you are. I've come to you. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Jacob's dream. He is the true gate of heaven. He is the true Bethel, the dwelling place of God. And by his work, by his downward mobility, we are being built into a dwelling place for God. We become Bethel. In Christ, the gates of heaven are flung open to us. We have full access to the presence and power of God right where we are. Hallelujah. All of our striving is pointing to Jesus. All of our attempts to climb to him, it's pointing to our need for him, our longing for Jesus to come. Why do we strive? Let's remember, like Jacob, we strive for security. But in Christ, we have eternal security. Like Jacob, we strive for belonging. But in Christ, we belong to the family of God. Like Jacob, we, be- we long for high purpose and calling. But in Christ, we are his chosen ambassadors, the ambassadors of the king. Like Jacob, we strive for blessing. But in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There is irony in our story we climb to get these things but God has already come down and freely given us all things in Christ see now in Jesus in his broken body and his blood shed for us that we don't need to climb to God today in this very place we can receive what he's done that he's come to us He's already offered it to us. We can taste and see that God is good. Let's pray. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.